You're listening to All Things Crime, brought to you by Abject Entertainment. Be sure to check out some of the other great true crime podcasts from this network, including The Murder in My Family, Missing Persons, DNA ID, Scene of the Crime, Three Men and a Mystery, and Zodiac Speaking. All of these podcasts are available for you to binge on right now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe where you're listening to this podcast so you don't miss an episode. Warning. All Things Crime is a true crime production that may contain violent or disturbing material. Viewer or listener discretion is advised. Um, I know of some countries in, uh, in, in Europe and, and over there on the uh, western, what used to be the, the Soviet bloc, uh, some of those uh, Latvia and um, countries like that, where... <clears throat> Some of the politicians are actually almost gathering up these massive amounts of migrants at their border. And then if the, if the country next to them doesn't play ball the way they want them to, the way they want them to, they'll release all these migrants into their country. They'll just let them go. And so it's all of a sudden these people have this massive number of, of uh, migrants coming into their country and they're like, oh, holy crap, what do we do with these people? Well, to me, you know what? <sighs> These are people. These are human beings. And first of all, if they didn't have to leave their, their country, then whatever inspired them to leave their country is evil. And the promises that I know these people are being told about all they have to do is come across uh, the southern border of the United States and they'll be taken care of the rest of their life. Uh, based on some of the people that we're talking to in uh, Baja Chiquito and in Panama, that's their attitude. If you remember a, f- a few, I don't know, it's probably, I don't know, at this junction, probably 10 episodes ago, but I made uh, um, an episode, an All Things Crime episode, where I was actually in Panama, but I was hanging out at a friend's house. I was just trying to process what I had actually seen at Baja Chiquito when we had, had gone down there a couple of days prior to making that video. So if you guys haven't seen that, you definitely need to go back. Uh, I made, uh, I think, two or three videos there. One of them was from what we called Cell Phone Hill. And so you could go back and, and search that and check it out. But the, um, the these third level of evil people, um, they don't view people as anything other than a commodity. And you can tell, you know, ignore what they say. Because these people will say anything um, to divert your attention. They'll say anything they can and anything they need to, uh, including bold-faced lying right to your face um, in, in order to uh, change the subject, in order to deflect, whatever. Ignore what they say. Look at what they do. And I'm telling you right now, the amount of human suffering 
that is caused by these people. Uh, it's not just death. There are There is suffering going on. Um, let me give you an example. Well, right now, today, I saw, and this was kind of kind of the uh, hair that broke the camel's back for me, I just had to get out of there, was I saw uh, the latest numbers. So there are upwards to 12,000, 12,000 migrants underneath a bridge in Texas somewhere. And I can't remember the exact name, Del Rio Bridge, I think is what it is. And these guys are, are hanging out under these 12,000 migrants. Now, these people have probably walked uh, or traveled at least for weeks and weeks and weeks. And I'll bet some of them, if they've gone the, the, the path that we kind of laid out, these guys, um, they don't view people in the same way that you and I do. They view people as a commodity, almost like a chess piece that they can move around. And most of us, they look at, we are pawns or just, we're worthless. We're, we're only, we're only capable of, of limited moves and uh, limited resources. And so, uh, we are theirs to play with and theirs to move around on their chessboard. And you can tell based on their actions. Now, when we were down in Baja Chiquito, the, the majority of the people that we talked to we asked them why they were making this trip. Because I, I'll tell you, the trip that they were making, coming across the Darien Gap, uh, just in describing it, was absolutely staggering. I mean, there were people that, uh, just in facing nature. So this is like a 60-mile strip of jungle but as with with all the terrain and stuff that they had to go up and down uh, crossing rivers um, the insects the snakes all of that kind of stuff to put themselves at that level of danger let alone all those that came across there with kids there were some that had like toddlers in tow you know whether they carried them all or whether they actually walked next to their parents I don't know it's just but to do that, what would take, what would inspire somebody to do that? Well, obviously, they might be uh, fleeing some, uh, some horrendous, um, you, you know, war or something like that. Maybe some of those are refugees. But the problem is, the majority of them, once they got into, like, Colombia, for example... There's no wars there. We talked to multiple people that were in um, Peru and Argentina. Uh, there were a couple of guys from Egypt that had been working in, I think it was South Korea for a while. And then they were working in South America for a while. So they weren't in any danger. But what they, the reason they did all this was because every single one of them that we talked to said, said Joe Biden. That was the reason they were doing this. So there is information going on and circulating around the world. And, you know, President Biden didn't help because when he was campaigning, there were multiple times when he actually said, the borders are going to be open. Come on up. You know, just actually inviting people to migrate into the country and not legally, 
but just across the border. And you look at their actions, the, the fact that the day he took office, construction on the southern border, the, the wall that was being constructed, that halted and uh, is still halted. And I, I guess Texas might be uh, continuing to build it in, in, on, on their own border. Um, I'm not really sure about that, but unreal. What are you thinking? I mean, that's, that's literally, I mean, let's put this on a, um, a personal level. I'm Mike Morford, and I've been researching the Zodiac case for years. Zodiac, just the name. It sounds sinister. It inspires fear. The fact that a serial killer would give himself this moniker is disturbing. He would go on to taunt police by sending letters and codes to newspapers for years. And the attacks, they were something else altogether. If you were a young couple in a secluded area, you could easily be a target. And it wasn't just shootings on dark lovers' lanes. Zodiac would even attack with a knife in broad daylight while wearing an executioner-style hood. After a while, Zodiac changed tactics, and even lone cab drivers weren't safe. The Zodiac Killer terrorized the San Francisco Bay Area and then vanished, but he left a lot of clues behind along the way. Clues that we're going to examine closely on the new podcast, Zodiac Speaking. New episodes of Zodiac Speaking come out every other Saturday starting March 13, 2021. Subscribe today wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a single episode. So imagine somebody from the city that you live in. So the mayor or somebody comes to your house and says, we have a ton of, of uh, migrants coming in. You know, there's what, 70,000 uh, migrants that are, that are here now from Afghanistan just in the last 30 days. So let, let's say this mayor says, hey, you know, we got a bunch of uh, Afghani, um, Afghan migrants that are going to be hanging out in this area. So what we need you to do is uh, any locks that you have on your house, you need to remove them. Any uh, fencing or uh, barriers around your yard, you need to remove them or at least leave them, leave them all unlocked. And uh, if anybody hops over your fence, uh, you can't do anything about it. You know, if they set up shop and, and want to pitch a tent on your front yard, that's fine. If they, if they walk into your house and decide they want to uh, make a ham sandwich out of whatever you have in your fridge, that's fine. We're not going to do anything about it. Uh, you can call the cops, but they're not even going to come. Um, so short of them uh, murdering somebody in your family, you know, we're not going to worry about it. it. It's And, you know, maybe that's an extreme example, but I don't think so. I think it's pretty close. And uh, that's so if that resonates to you on a personal level. So imagine you're in your house. You have now removed all your locks. There's no more gate on the fence that's around your property. Uh, you hear noises out there and, oh yeah, and of course they've uh, removed your, any ability to protect yourself. So, um, and you know, you're actually worried about if you do protect yourself, uh, you might be charged. So that's kind of the equivalent of what's happening on a mass scale and not just at our Southern border, but it's happening in other countries as well. Um, I know of some countries in, 
uh, in, in Europe and, and over there on the uh, Western, what used to be the, the Soviet bloc, uh, some of those uh, Latvia and um, countries like that, where some of the politicians are actually almost gathering up these massive amounts of migrants at their border. And then if the, if the country next to them doesn't play ball the way they want them to, the way they want them to, they'll release all these migrants into their country. They'll just let them go. And so it's all of a sudden these people have this massive number of, of uh, migrants coming into their country and they're like, Oh, holy crap. What do we do with these people? Well, to me, you know what? These are people. These are human beings. And first of all, if they didn't have to leave their, their country, then whatever inspired them to leave their country is evil. And the promises that I know these people are being told about all they have to do is come across uh, the southern border of the United States and they'll be taken care of the rest of their life. Uh, based on some of the people that we're talking to in uh, Baja Chiquito and in Panama, that's their attitude. They are, uh, they have a level of entitlement and a level of expectation. Um, and I'll tell you why, why, why I think that. When we were in uh, Baja Chiquito, uh, we were there and we we're kind of hanging out with their equivalent of a mayor and and their equivalent of like the county or the area uh, governor. So he was there as well. On kind of a, a, a little side gathering, what happened was these migrants and we're 99% positive they're from Haiti. Well, these Haiti migrants, they, and it started with just one guy that spoke really good Spanish and a young girl who looked seven or eight months pregnant. And I know she was hoping that the baby wouldn't come until she had made it to the United States. Not sure she was going to make it, but, um, it's, it started with those two and maybe one other, but by the end of the discussion, they, there was probably six or seven guys, and these are young, healthy men, and this young girl that was pregnant, all kind of hovering around uh, these guys, and one of them was the, the governor of this territory. The amazing thing to me, as I learned later, because I don't speak Spanish, but uh, I could tell just from their body language that they were expecting whatever they were demanding, they were expecting it to, to happen. So what I learned later is this entire conversation, what they were demanding, now they're, they were demanding better food and better shelter, better housing. They're in this little, little community of Baja Chiquito. And, and in case you haven't seen the other videos that I've, that I've done about our trip to uh, Southern Panama, Baja Chiquito is kind of the first semblance of society, of civilization, once you come out of the jungle of the Darien Gap. It's a tiny little village of 450 people. Most of the buildings don't even really have walls. They look like they were, you know, poured concrete. Some of them are two stories, uh, but they're poured concrete. And then that's it. 
that, you know, maybe a makeshift roof over the top of it. Um, some of it was wood. Some of it was, um, like the thin metal sheeting. And now uh, we were there in, uh, May, June timeframe. And, uh, back then I would say there were probably three to 400, um, migrants that were there. Um, you know, maybe, maybe a little less or a little more than that. Well, definitely not more than that, but, um, let's say between two and 300 migrants. And they were saying that was kind of the average every day. But the crazy thing is when we were going up the river in order to get to Baja Chiquito, we saw 16 boats with probably at least 10, if not 12 or 15 migrants, each boat headed the other direction, headed down toward, um, the, the main highway. And there's a, there's a gathering center for all the migrants. So, so whatever was left in the village was minus probably close to 200 migrants that had gone out that morning that we passed. The, the, the point of this is that these people had walked into this village. Now this village had no running water, no electricity. The only electricity they had were from generators. So that means they had to bring any fuel that burned that, you know, gasoline or whatever, they had to bring it up river. And I'll tell you that trip on that river. Um, so these are like dugout canoes from essentially from, um, uh, you know, tall trees and just dugout uh, canoes. And then they have a little, I don't know, one, one horsepower motor on the back of them, 10 horsepower or whatever. It weren't very fast and it took us several hours to get up this river, about an hour and a half on the way back, about half as much time. Uh, but going against the, the flow of the river, it took us about three hours to get up there. And it was a long trip and they would have to, so all the supplies, all the food, everything they have in their little general stores, that all has to be brought up there from uh, these river boats. And I guess in the really dry season, there's a road that will go out there, but it's it's uh, sketchy at best. So I wouldn't imagine any big uh, delivery trucks or, you know, you're not going to see UPS trucks driving down that road. I'll tell you that right now. So these people have basically nothing as it is. And what their mayor was telling us is that ever since this, um, they used to get like 10 to 15 migrants a day. And now they get hundreds per day. And this is, this is back in, you know, last spring. So now they're talking about, you know, the people that these friend of mine that have gone back to Baja Chiquito, uh, like Michael Yon, uh, he, he, they're basically saying that it's like 800 to a thousand per day that are coming into this little village. They are completely overrun. These people have not, they used to be, uh, like farmers, and they do a lot of lumber and things like that. They grow uh, certain crops down there. Haven't been able to do it ever since, uh, especially the start of 2021, because uh, the flow of migrants. The, and it's, lo and behold, it coincides perfectly with uh, President Biden coming into office. So if you don't think there's a correlation there, I got nothing for you because... I, I will tell you flat out that there is a direct correlation 
with President Biden getting into office and these migrants coming from all over the world. Thank you for listening to All Things Crime. We are so grateful for all of our listeners. If you enjoyed this, please give us a positive review so other people can find it as well. Have an amazing All Things Crime Day.